Good stuff. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Grace Church here at the Medina East Campus. We're super excited to have you here today, and uh, I'm super excited to be back with you uh, here today. Over the past couple of weeks, I've, I've uh, uh, had a chance to be at home um, and uh, introducing our fourth child into our family over the past couple of weeks has been a blast, and so that's been pretty fun. If you're a guest with us here today, um, I do just want to extend really a very special welcome to you. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Medina East Campus, and if you are a guest, I, I just want to uh, just real quick, like I said, I want to say a real special thanks for you being here because I understand that if it's the first time you've walked into this building, if it's the first time that you've been here at Grace, that to walk into a place where you don't know anybody, um, to walk into a new church where you know, you're not familiar with things, it actually takes a lot of courage. And I just want to recognize that. And I want to say thank you for being here if you are a guest. And hopefully you feel comfortable. Uh, we hope that, that you enjoy, enjoy your, t- your, your time here. We hope you feel welcome. Actually, would really encourage you to grab that gift, that first-time gift that was mentioned by Sarah Beth a moment ago. That's at our Welcome Center. And then, of course, I also would love to get a chance to meet you. And so if you are a guest with us, if you, would, uh, if you have time and if you could, come and introduce yourself. I'll be hanging out in the cafe afterwards, and I'd love to get a chance to meet you. Uh, my name is Tony, one of the campus pastors here at Grace. And, and like I said just a moment ago, if, if you do attend here regularly, you probably know that my wife and I um, did just have an opportunity to introduce our fourth child into our family uh, just a few weeks ago. And so that has been absolutely awesome. And I just want to, you know, since I'm a proud daddy, I figured I'd show you a picture. I got to show you a picture. So, so this is our new little guy, number four. This is little Louis Lavigny, little Louie. So we call him Louis. Louis Lavigny, a very Italian name. Sounds like he should have like ragu in his bottle or something like that. But, uh, but he, he is awesome and we love him and, and, he, and he's a blast. So little Louis. And by the way, I think this is worth mentioning too that I don't know if you heard the royal family just named their, their son Louis as well. Uh, we named ours Louis first. So I just want to make sure that that's, they got that straight. So he's great. Uh, this picture uh, actually was not the first take. It took a few sh- uh, shots to get this picture. In fact, this was the first take here. I don't know if you could tell. He's a little cross-eyed in that picture. So he's a blast. And people have asked me, they said, do you think he looks more like you? Or do you think he looks more like Jess, like my wife? I said, I think it's like both of us. And I think you can see that. Like this picture, he's definitely more Jess, right? And this picture is definitely more of me. So got that going on. But, uh, but yeah, he's great. And we, we love having him in the home. And thank, thank you to any of you who have been praying for us or who have been uh, kind of helped support us in any way. It's been a blast. So it's really great. So I'm excited about this and I'm excited about being back with you. And of course, I'm also excited because today we actually get to continue in this conversation that we've been in for the past several weeks that we've been calling If Jesus Rose from the Dead. If Jesus Rose from the Dead. And again, if you are just kind of tuning in, what we've been doing is, is we've been having this conversation. And I think the title uh, really kind of says it all, right? And basically what we're saying is, if Jesus rose from the dead, then what are the implications of that, right? Like if Jesus, which I, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone in this room, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're investigating following Jesus, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that Christians are people who believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But the question we're thinking through is, if he did raise from the dead, then like, what does that mean? What does that actually say to us? And what is that uh, impact in our day-to-day lives? Like, what are the implications of a resurrection? And so we're actually thinking that through. And what we've said is this. We've said that the resurrection actually has very far-reaching implications, implications that maybe we've never even thought through, that it impacts our everyday 
lives if Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So just to give you kind of a snapshot of what we've talked about so far, here's the ground that we've covered so far. We said that if Jesus rose from the dead, we said first and foremost, well, that says something about Jesus, right? And that makes sense. If Jesus rose from the dead, well, that, that says something pretty substantial about Jesus. But then we said, not only that, we said that if Jesus rose from the dead, that actually says something about my past. And then we said this, we said that if Jesus rose from the dead, that actually says something about my present life. And then we said it says something about my present purpose. And so by the way, if you missed these previous conversations, we actually spent a week on each one of these topics. And if you'd like to listen to those or, or hear kind of the, the reasoning behind those conversations, you can always go back, you can watch those, listen to those. If you subscribe to our podcast or visit our website or get our app, all of those platforms are free, and we'd encourage you to do that if, you, if, you, uh, if you'd like to catch up with that. Uh, but today, what we're going to be doing is we're actually going to be spending our entire time that we have here today kind of processing through this next topic, and that's this. If Jesus rose from the dead, okay, if Jesus rose from the dead, today we're going to say that it actually says something about my present pain. So that's what we're going to talk about. If Jesus rose from the dead, what does it say about our present pain, our present suffering, right? The, the present challenge that you might be facing, the present heartbreak, the present disappointment, right? Whatever it might be, the present stress, the, the challenging thing that you're facing right now, what does, if Jesus rose from the dead, what does that say about our present pain? And I believe it has a lot to say about our present pain. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. And to, to have this conversation, I want to encourage you, if you would, why don't you grab your Bibles with me, and we're going to look at this together in 1 Peter chapter 1, okay? So 1 Peter chapter 1 is the Bible passage that we're going to be going to today. And what we're going to see in 1 Peter is that he is going to be talking about how the resurrection speaks to our present pain. And so 1 Peter 1, go ahead and grab your Bibles and get there. And by the way, if you did not bring a Bible with you today, you can grab one of our Bibles, those black Bibles in front of you, and you can turn to page 850. That's where you're going to find 1 Peter chapter 1, and so you can go and get there. And then let me also just mention that if you are a guest with us today and you do not own a physical copy of the Bible, we would actually really love for you to have one. So you could just take one of our Bibles, you can make that a gift from us to you, and you could do that. So 1 Peter 1, go ahead and get there. However you get there is fine. I'll meet you there. And then uh, as you're finding your way there, let me kind of start off today by giving you a telling you a quick story. Okay, so, so my, my wife, um, growing up, all growing up, her and her family, every summer, would take a trip to northern Michigan. Okay, so this was something she did every year as a child. Her family owns some property up in northern Michigan. And so every summer, she had an opportunity to go up there for kind of like a family vacation. So this place, because she grew up going there, became very near and dear to her heart. And so it's, it's something that's very special to her to go up there, right? So I remember when, we, when, when she and I started dating and when we were engaged, she would always be talking to me about how awesome Northern Michigan was and how incredible it was and how meaningful it was to her and, and how special it was, you know, kind of her. And so she's like, you have to come up there with me. And so when we got married, uh, I remember in our first year of marriage, she's like, you have to come up here. We have to go to Northern Michigan. And I'll be honest with you, I was a little reluctant to go. And the reason is because, well, you know, I'm an Ohio State fan. And like, therefore, a Christian. So uh, that means that uh, that like anything in Michigan is just like the devil's territory, right? It's like I can't go to that godforsaken land, whatever, you know. And so I was a little reluctant to go, but my wife was like, "No, you gotta trust me. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's the most wonderful place." And so because I love my wife and love covers over a multitude of sins, I was like, "Okay, I'll go." Right. 
So I went, and I got to tell you, if you guys have ever been up to northern Michigan, have any of you ever been up to, like, the Traverse area to the UP? Anyone ever been up there before? Man, if you've ever been up there, it is just the worst, right? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. It is actually, it is actually unbelievable. It is beautiful. It's, it's phenomenal. It's one of the most beautiful, honestly, it is one of the most beautiful places, at least I've ever been in my life. It is incredible. The only downfall is that it's in Michigan. But outside of that, it's just, it's gorgeous. And so it's become a, a thing for us now that our family, every summer, uh, usually, we, we take a trip and we'll, we'll take some family vacation time and go up to northern uh, Michigan. And one of the things that we love to do when we go to northern Michigan is we like to do something called the dune walk. It's called the dune walk. So up in northern Michigan, uh, there is a national park called the Sleeping Bear Dunes National Park. And, uh, and there's this thing called the dune walk. And the dune walk is basically this. You pay, you pay some money and, and you have to pay to do this thing. And it's a two-mile walk over sand dunes, right, to Lake Michigan. So it ends up being a four-mile walk round trip. It takes like two to four hours to do the whole thing, to do, to do a dune walk. Some of you maybe have done something like this before, right? And I got to tell you that the dune walk even though it's, it's only four miles, which four miles is, you know, it's a substantial length. It's actually extremely strenuous. In fact, um, I thought it was interesting. If you go to the website, they actually warn you about how strenuous this trip is. In fact, this comes right from the website. The dune walk is strenuous but rewarding. It says, take lots of water and remember that you're going to be walking up and down the dunes in loose sand the whole way. And hiking through the dunes can also be disorienting. So this is what the website says. And I actually found this out. I didn't know this, but I guess every year the national park system has to do a bunch of rescue missions to, to save people who have either gotten lost because they were disoriented or who were dehydrated because they didn't take like sufficient water with them. So it's, it could be kind of, you know, strenuous. So here's the thing I've learned. And, and after doing the dune walk over, you know, several different years, I actually learned a few things. One of the things I noticed was this. I noticed that... Um, Whenever you do the dune walk, that at the beginning, at the beginning of this thing, there are tons of people. I mean, like hundreds of people. There's kids, you know, running up and down the dunes, and people are having picnics, and they're laughing, and they're playing, and they're having a good time. But what I noticed is that the longer you go on the dune walk, the less people you see. In fact, by the time you get to the end, oftentimes there is nobody else there. A lot of times you have the whole beach to yourself if you can make it all the way to the end. Now, here's the other thing I noticed, and, and in order for me to explain this, I actually have to show you a very complicated diagram of what the dunes are like, okay? So it's kind of like this. And uh, so the dune walk is basically just a bunch of up and down and up and down and up and down. But here's what my wife and I noticed. And, you know, we've done this several times, and so we, we realized something. That whenever you hit the top of a dune, so whenever you're like at the pinnacle, you can actually see the lake, like you can see the beach. You can you actually catch a glimpse of where you're going. So every time you hit one of these like these high spots, you can actually see kind of where you're going. And here's what we also noticed. Whenever you're in a trough, like whenever you're kind of in the low point or like the valley of them, all you can see is sand. All right. And it's just hot and there's just nothing but sand. And it can actually be a little bit disorienting. And here's what my wife and I found. We found that our, um, there's a direct correlation between our attitude and our desire to go forward depending on our location here, right? So, so we noticed that whenever we're down here and all you can see is sand, that we are more likely to complain, that we are more likely to want to quit and turn around and go back, that we are more likely to probably like bicker and argue with each other about things. And then we found that when we're up here, right, 
that we are, that you, it's like every time you get up to, to one of these top spots and you can see the lake again, you get a glimpse of where you're going, it's almost like you get this um, renewed sense of enthusiasm and excitement and per, like, we can do this, we can do this. And so the whole trip is like this. You're like, wow, we can see it, let's go, this is gonna be great. Then you're like, this is terrible, I wanna quit, I wanna die. And then it's like, we can do this, come on, we got it. And then it's like, I hate you, this is awful. And this, you know, this whole thing. And the whole time, it, it, it's, kinda, it's kinda like this. And we found that there's a direct correlation between those things. Then finally, of course, if you make it all the way to the end of the dune walk, the reward, just like the website said, it is strenuous, but it is rewarding. Because if you can make it to the end, I'm telling you, it is the most beautiful beach you've ever seen. I mean, if I showed you a picture of it, you wouldn't even believe me. It looks like something out of a magazine. And you have it all to yourself. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, here's why I tell you that, okay? Because I have found in life, and my guess is, you've probably found this in life as well, that when we go through seasons of pain or suffering or challenge, that a lot of times, a lot of times in those seasons, uh, purpose is not always visual, is not always visible, right? I have found that a lot of times when you go through seasons where it's challenging or it's hard, that sometimes it's hard to see an end in sight, right? That sometimes all you can see is sand. In fact, for some of you, uh, maybe even here this morning, right now, uh, maybe you're facing something or you're going through something there's, there's, a, there's an issue of pain or suffering or challenge that you're facing in your life or stress. And right now, you can see no purpose in the thing that you're going through right now. And maybe the thing that you're going through right now, you can see no end in sight. And maybe for you, all you can see is sand. And I think I found that when all you can see is sand, it can be very disorienting. It's easy to lose your way, and it's easy to want to quit, and it's easy to want to throw your hands up in the air. But here's what I want to tell you here this morning. Here's what I want to talk about. If Jesus rose from the dead, that actually speaks to our present pain. It says something. It speaks to the present pain that we're facing. And what does it say? Well, here's what I want to show you, and here's what I think First Peter is going to show us, okay? The First Peter is going to show us that if Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection says that my present pain, first and foremost, is not permanent. My present pain is not permanent. And then secondly, the resurrection tells us that my present pain is not purposeless. My present pain is not permanent, and my present pain is not purposeless. If Jesus rose from the dead, then here's what that tells us about our present pain. It's not permanent, and it's not purposeless. So, so you're like, well, well, how does it tell us that? Well, let me, let me show you. Okay, so 1 Peter is gonna show us this. We're gonna start off in verse three, 1 Peter chapter one, verse three. Now, real quick, before we jump in, uh, Peter, the guy who's writing the book of 1 Peter, uh, he was a, a disciple of Jesus. So he was one of the 12 disciples and uh, maybe one of the most famous of the 12 disciples. This is, this is that same Peter. And actually in the book of 1 Peter, he's writing to a group of Christians uh, who are actually undergoing pretty severe pain. So the people that he's writing to are Christians who are being persecuted for their faith underneath the leadership of this guy named Nero, okay? And so he's writing to these Christians who are experiencing present pain, and he's writing to them to give them perspective in the midst of their present pain. So, so here's, what, here's what Peter says. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, that can never spoil, and that can never fade. All right, now, let's just pause there for a second. I want you to notice Peter's logic here, okay? So Peter, notice what he says here. 
He says that through the resurrection, right? In other words, because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, here's what Peter says. He says, because Jesus rose from the dead, that actually gives birth to a new hope. In other words, if Christ rose from the dead, there is a new hope that is available for those who follow Jesus. This gives birth to a new, and notice what he says. He says, this is a living hope. There's a living hope that is now available to Christians because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, if you notice here, he doesn't say it's a dead hope. He says, no, this is a living hope. This is a substantial hope. This is a real hope. In other words, this is not just some synthetic hope. This is not just some hallmark platitude. This is not just some line of positive thinking that you're just being an optimist. He says, no, this is something substantial. There's a living hope if Jesus Christ rose from the dead. By the way, I think it's clarifying as well that whenever the Bible uses the word hope, it actually uses it in a way that's much different than the way that we tend to use it in our modern setting, right? So if you think about it, in our modern setting, when we say the word hope, what we typically mean is we mean wishful thinking, right? So think about the way that we say it. We'll say things like this. We hope that the calves win today, right? Anyone, anyone hope that the calves, amen, right? Yeah, okay. So we hope that the calves win. We hope that it gets warm in Northeast Ohio sometime soon, right? We hope that this happens. But what are we saying? We're saying we wish because there's a good chance that those things might not happen, right? And so it could happen or it couldn't happen. It's uncertain. We don't really know, but we hope. But when we say we hope, what we mean is we wish. But when the Bible says that we hope, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we wish. It means, no, we are certain. It means I've put my faith in. I've put my trust in. I've banked on this because I believe it, and there's a confidence that's behind it. And so, so listen, I want you to understand that here's what Peter says. He says that because Jesus rose from the dead, that gives birth to a living and certain hope. And how, how so? Well, here's how. Remember going back to the dune analogy, if, you, if I was going through the dune walk and you came up to me and you said, hey, are you going to Lake Michigan? Are you headed to Lake Michigan? I would tell you with absolute certainty, yes. If I keep walking down this path, I will go to Lake Michigan. And if you said, well, how do you know that? How do you know that? I would tell you because I saw it. I've caught a glimpse of it, man. Whenever I hit the top of those, I can see it. It's there. It's not like I'm walking through the, you know, the sand like I wish, I hope, I think that maybe this is gonna lead to. No, I saw it. I caught a glimpse of where I'm going and I know that that's where I'm heading. This is what Peter says. He says that if Jesus rose from the dead, he says then that gives you a glimpse of what your future is if you follow him, right? It gives you certainty. That's where I'm going. And it gives birth to a new and living hope. And so he goes on, he says this, he says that this living hope that we have, he says this is an inheritance that can never perish, that can never spoil, and that can never fade. In other words, he says this, he says, if Jesus rose from the dead, that gives us a glimpse of where we're heading. And he says, and where we're heading is something permanent, is something eternal, is something that can't spoil, that can't fade, that won't fade away from us, it won't leave us, it's something eternal because that's what happened for Christ. The resurrection is a profound statement of where following Jesus is gonna lead. He goes on, he says this. He says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. Now notice what he says, ready to be revealed in the last time, in the last time. So again, he says, this, this is, the resurrection gives us a glimpse 
of where we are headed if we follow Christ. If we follow him, it gives us a glimpse. So then Peter says this, and I want you to notice this next thing. He says, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. In all of what do we greatly rejoice? In this great hope that you have, in this glimpse that you have of where you are heading if you follow Jesus. In all of this, we greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now, now I want you to notice what Peter's saying here. I think that this is a really, really powerful thought. What Peter says is, he says, because Jesus rose from the dead, that actually gives us the power that whenever we're facing all kinds of trials. Now, real quick, what, what is all kinds of trials? Well, all kinds of trials is trials of, uh, tell me, all kinds, right? And so you're like, well, what does that include? Well, everything, in fact, right? So that could include everything from that challenging circumstance at work with that annoying employee that continues to test your patience, something as little as that, right? To that family member that continues to, to be a challenge for you, all the way to severe tragedy and loss, everything in between, right? So here's what Peter says. He says that this crazy thing, he says that in all kinds of trials, if Jesus rose from the dead, you actually can rejoice. You can actually rejoice. No matter what you're, whatever it is that you're going through, if Jesus rose from the dead, it gives you the ability to rejoice in what you're facing right now. Why? Here's why. He says, because that's just for a little while. It's just for a little while. In other words, your present pain, it's not permanent. Whatever it is that you're facing right now, the resurrection gives us this incredible hope that whatever you're facing is not permanent. Now, I know for some of you, you might be thinking, man, but you don't know what I'm going through, and you gotta understand that what I'm facing right now, it doesn't feel like a little while. Man, this feels like it's taken forever. This feels like it's been a lifetime, right? And listen, here's how Peter can say that, because think about it. If Jesus rose from the dead, that what that means is, that means that even death itself is not permanent, right? And everything in light of eternity is only a little while. Everything in light of eternity is just a tiny, tiny segment of a circumstance based on what God has in store for us, right? And so even death, the resurrection says that even death itself is not permanent, which means this. It means that if the pain that you're facing right now is because of the loss of a loved one, if the suffering that you're going through right now is because the diagnosis is terminal, if the thing that you, you're, you're walking through right now is something that maybe you're gonna have to walk through for the rest of your lifetime, if the disappointment that you're carrying with you is disappointment that's gonna go with you probably for the rest of your life, Peter says that because Jesus rose from the dead, even that thing, even that is only for a little while. And so Peter says this, he says, man, what does the resurrection say about your present pain? Well, first off, it says this, it says that it is not permanent. It does not have the final say. It is a temporary circumstance in light of an eternal hope that we have. But then I want you to notice, he doesn't just say that our present pain is not permanent. He's gonna go on to say this next thing, and I think this is so important, that our present pain is not purposeless. It's not purposeless. And I think, man, I think for some of you today, you really, really need to hear this, that the present pain that you're facing, the thing that God has you in right now, that if dealt with correctly, it is not without purpose. It is not without purpose. I want you to notice what Peter says. Look at this again. He says in verse six, and all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials and all kinds of trials. Now watch this next thing. These have come. Now watch this. This is so important. These have come. What have come? 
what have come? Trials in all forms, all kinds of trials, the challenge or the disappointment or the heartbreak or whatever it is that you're facing, the loss or the pain or the suffering. All of this has come, he says, now look at this, so that, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in, may result in praise, glory, honor, when, the Lord, when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, here's what I want you to notice because it's so easy to just breeze right past this and not notice this. I think there is such incredible power in these two little words, so that, so that. Some of you might have different translations. This little word used in the Greek language can also be translated, these have come for the purpose of. Some translations say, these have come in order that. And this little term, what it literally means is it indicates purpose. It means that something is being accomplished to a certain end. And so that's why Peter says, the reason that these trials have come, the reason that God has allowed these things in your life is for a purpose. There's a reason that it could result in something. See, and I think what Peter is doing is he's saying this. He's he's opening up this incredible, incredible reality to us that if Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that means whatever it is that you might be facing is not purposeless. It's not that in the hands of a sovereign God, pain and suffering can be used if dealt with correctly to result in your good and your growth and ultimately in God's glory. Can result in all of these incredible things. In fact, I just want you to know that this idea, this idea that your pain and our suffering is not something that is without purpose, that it can be used by a sovereign God for our good and for his glory. That idea is not new in in the New Testament. It is all over the place. Let's give you a couple examples. 2 Corinthians chapter four, the apostle Paul says, by the way, speaking about the resurrection, he says, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. You hear that word he uses? He says, it's achieving something, right? The pain that we're facing, it's accomplishing something. It's achieving something. Romans, he says the same thing. Romans chapter eight, the apostle Paul says, and we know that in all things, all things, all pain, all suffering that we're facing, God is working for the good of those who love him. You hear the words that he uses? In our pain, God is working. In our pain, God is achieving. He is accomplishing. In our pain, it's happening. It's allowed so that it might result in something. See, I don't know about you guys, but I think that this is incredibly, incredibly important. And the reason is because here's what I've found in my life, and maybe, maybe you found this as well, but I have found, maybe, just, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I have found that it is not pain that makes me wanna quit. It's not pain that makes me wanna quit. I have found that it is not pain that is unbearable. I have found that it is not pain that is insufferable. Here's what I found. It is purposeless pain that makes me wanna quit. It is perceived purposelessness in pain that makes me wanna throw up my hands that is unbearable, right? It's when I don't see, it's when I don't see why I'm going through the thing I'm going through. I don't understand it. I don't see anything good's gonna come out of this. I don't see any end in sight. I don't see any purpose. That's what makes me wanna quit. But when I can see purpose behind the pain that I'm going through, not only does it help me endure the pain, it actually causes me to invite the pain. Think about it for a minute, not in a masochistic way, but just think about this for a minute, right? That dune walk I was telling you about, that strenuous dune walk where it's, the sand is hot and it's disorienting and you get dehydrated, I pay money to do that. 
right? On vacation, my family and I pay money to do, why do we do that? Do we just like to inflict pain on ourselves? No, 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 we, we see the purpose. We see that there's a purpose that far outweighs the pain, that it's all worth it. We will pay to do it. If you have a gym membership, are you not paying money to inflict pain on yourself? And that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing when you go to the gym. Why would you do that? Here's why, because you see the purpose. You can see a purpose in your pain. My wife and I have four kids. Wouldn't you think that after the you know, labor and delivery pains of the first child that we would have been like, no more, we are done. But no, no, we, we did it four times and we did it gladly, right? And right now we went through the, we went through the pain. I said, we, she went through the pain again and now we're not sleeping. And, but but what, what allows that to be endurable? Here's why, because we know that it's not permanent and we know that there is a purpose behind it. Right? We know that this is not purposeless, so, so listen, for some of you, man, some of you here today, I understand maybe, maybe you're looking at your circumstance and your situation and you're saying, yeah, but dude, I, I hear what you're saying. God has a purpose. It's not permanent. But dude, I don't see it. I just, all I see is sand right now. I can't see anything past the pain that I am facing right now. And so what is the good thing that God is trying to do with what I'm going through right now? What, what good could God possibly do with what I'm facing? My heartbreak, my disappointment, what could God do with that? And, and listen, let me just say this, all right? Let me just be real honest with you. I don't know entirely. I'm not, I'm not God, and so I don't know the reason why God would allow you to journey through the thing that he is allowing you to journey through right now. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not God. But, but listen, here, here's what I can tell you, okay? In fact, I can... I can promise you this. If Jesus rose from the dead, if he truly did, then whatever he's got you in right now, that he can use it and he wants to use it for your good and for your growth and for his glory. And I can promise you that and I can guarantee you that and I can say that with 100% certainty no matter what you're going through right now, no matter how permanent it might feel, no matter how purposeless it might feel, I can promise you that. And some of you are like, well, how can you say that with such certainty? How can you say that with such certainty? Here's how. Here's how I know that. Because think about it for a minute. If God could use the sufferings and the injustice and the death and crucifixion of his son, such incredible injustice, such incredible tragedy, and if he could use that pain and that suffering to accomplish the incredible amount of good and the incredible amount of glory that he has done for our good and for his glory, then let me just ask you a question. What amount of pain and suffering could he not use for his glory and for, for your good? There is, if, if the resurrection, if the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a case study in what the power of God can do with pain and suffering, then what amount of pain and what amount of, dis, of, of heartbreak is outside of the jurisdiction of God to be used for your good and your growth and for his glory? See, because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that pain in the hands of a sovereign God, if you allow it, can be used for incredible things. The Bible says that God can use your pain to lead to greater faith. In fact, you see it right here. He says, these things have come to prove in the genuineness of your faith. God wants to grow your faith. And, and the way that he oftentimes does that, he's gonna introduce you to trials and circumstances. The Bible says this. The Bible says that God can use our pain 
God can use our pain to, to lead to greater character, that, that, that we can be more patient, more loving, more kind, more gentle, that those things oftentimes happen as a response to the painful things that God allows us to go through. The Bible says this. The Bible says that God can use our pain, he can use our suffering to make us more loving. You guys know this. Sometimes your greatest place of pain is your greatest point of ministry. It allows you to love other people. It allows you to sympathize with people in ways that you never could before if you can walk through seasons of pain and suffering. And so, so listen, here's the thing, all right? Here's the thing. I believe that when we begin to understand that the resurrection tells us that my present pain is not permanent and my present pain is not purposeless, here's what it does. It doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away the pain. And the hope of Christianity, by the way, is not that God would deliver you from your present pain. That's not the hope of Christianity. The hope of Christianity is that God would redeem your pain, that it wouldn't be wasted, that it would be used for, for your good, your growth, and for his glory. And here's what I found that when you begin to understand that, it doesn't necessarily change the challenge, doesn't change the pain, but it does change your perception. It changes the way you look at it, and it helps you to see not just to your pain, but through your pain to something bigger. Think about it this way for a minute. So um, back when I was in high school, I, uh, I worked at, uh, uh, had a chance to work at Blockbuster Video. You guys remember that? Remember Blockbuster? Yeah, so that was a thing. And so if you, if you don't know what Blockbuster is, if you're part of the younger generation, uh, Blockbuster Video, before there was Amazon uh, Video, before there was Netflix and Hulu and all that kind of stuff, if you wanted to rent a movie or watch a movie, you actually had to physically get in your car, you had to drive to a Blockbuster or to a rental place, and then you had to find a movie that you wanted to watch. And if it was in stock, because it wasn't always in stock, you would wait in line and rent it, and then you'd drive back and watch it, and then have to come back the next day and bring it back. Talk about suffering, right? It was terrible. And the best way it was back, back in the day. And so when I was in high school, I don't know if you guys remember, but, but uh, uh, Blockbuster in its heyday was nuts. You guys remember this? So I worked at Blockbuster when it was just in its prime. And so I remember, especially on Fridays and Saturday nights, like the, the weekend nights, it got crazy busy. In fact, sometimes we would oftentimes have customers that were out the door, just lines out the door, people waiting for over an hour to rent a movie sometimes. Like that was kind of the normal thing. And so because of that, if, if you guys have ever worked in customer service, you understand this. Whenever you have a large mass of customers like that who are not getting what they want when they want it, it usually creates for a lot of really challenging customer situations, right? And so you guys know people can be irritated and aggravating and all that kind of thing. And so we always had some really, really difficult and irritating situations that we had to navigate through on those nights. And so I remember as a high school student working at Blockbuster, me and the other employees, we used to dread Friday and Saturday. We dreaded it. We were like, oh, this is going to be terrible, all these people are gonna come and they're gonna be disgruntled and we're gonna to have to deal with difficult customers. And we just we would just like totally, totally dread it and complain about it and all that. So I remember this one time, it was a Friday night and uh, our manager got us together and it, we had a little team meeting before, before the rush came. So it was, it was Friday night, it was, we knew it was about to get crazy. And my manager told us something that she actually wasn't supposed to tell us. And so she said, uh, she said hey, she said, I just wanna let you guys know she said, I got, I got uh, tipped off to some information that I'm actually not supposed to know and you're not supposed to know. She said, but I actually found out that tonight there is actually a very real chance that we might be visited by a secret shopper. Right? And if you guys know what a secret shopper is, a secret shopper is someone that's paid to come in incognito, so they pretend that they're a customer, but they're actually there to test you. 
They're actually there to challenge you, to see how you operate under pressure. They want to see if the way that you act is congruent with the values of the organization, right? So that's why they're there. And so they're going to purposefully put you in trying situations so that they will see how good you do under pressure. And so I remember my manager told that to me, and I was like, okay. So I walked out back under the floor, getting ready for the night. And I'll tell you what's crazy is that night, we had the same amount of challenge as we ever did on a Friday night, but something radically changed. And it was my perception of the challenges that I was facing. So for example, I remember it started getting crazy. We had customers, lines, the whole thing. And I remember this guy came in, he had a bag of videos, you know. He came in, he said, I want to return these. He plopped them on the counter. He said, I didn't rewind any of them. You guys remember how you had to rewind VHS stuff in the past, right? He's like, I didn't rewind any of them. You rewind them for me? And now normally, I'll just tell you, that would have kind of bothered me. That would have been a little bit annoying because, again, we, we have like lines of customers and it takes time to stop and rewind every one of these videos. But I remember I looked at him and I would usually be annoyed, but in that moment, I remembered, I remembered, wait a minute, there's a secret shopper coming tonight. And I remember I looked at him differently and I looked at him, I thought, I know why you might be here you're probably that secret shopper guy, right? And you're here to test me, and I'm going to win, right? And so I remember in that moment, I suddenly changed my attitude, and I was like, I went from annoyed to immediately like, oh, I'm going to win. And so I looked at him, and I said, I said, oh, I said, sir, I'd be happy to rewind those for you. So we got a few machines back here. I'd be happy to rewind those. I even went a step further. I said, uh, I said, did you enjoy your movies, sir? Did you enjoy those? And he was like, man, no, something like that, you know? And, and I said, uh, I said oh, I'm so sorry to hear you didn't enjoy this. So we actually have some great new releases out. Uh, in fact, against, if you look over here against the wall, there's some new releases. Let me just tell you about what's come out. And I remember I did, and when he walked away, I remember I thought to myself, I totally won. If he is the secret shopper, I win, right? I remember just feeling that way. And so all night, the challenges were coming. Like I remember this one lady came up to the, to the counter, to the register, and I was beginning to check out you know, her movies, and I scanned her Blockbuster membership card, and it said that she had a $30 late fee on her account. You guys remember late fees? She had a $30 late fee on her account. And so usually customers don't like to hear that, right? And so I, I remember I said to her, I said, oh, ma'am, I'm so sorry. You have a, actually have a $30 late fee on your account. And so she wasn't real happy. And so she was like, no, I don't. I don't. I turn those movies in on time. That's your mistake. And again, normally that would kind of aggravate me. But I, at that moment, I remember, wait a minute, wait a minute, a minute. She might be the secret shopper. And so all of a sudden, everything changed. And I was like, I will win. I will pass this test. And so I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I understand that can be frustrating. I said, you know, if, if you don't think that that late fee is legitimate, let me double check. We might be wrong. So I went into the system, and I looked it up, and I said, oh, sure enough. I said, yeah, you rented the movies on this date. They came back on that date. You actually do have a late fee. And she's like, well, this place is a ripoff. I hate this place, and I hate you, you know? And I was like, uh, and again, I was like, I'm not going to react to this because I know who you are. You're probably that secret shopper lady, right? And so I said to her, I said, ma'am, I understand that you're frustrated. I said, I'll tell you what, though. If you are willing to pay some of your late fee today, I bet you I can talk to my manager and if you'd be willing to, I could probably knock 50% off that late fee. Would that, would that be okay? And she was like, well, couldn't hurt, you know? And I was like, well, that's great. I'm just so glad. You know, one guy comes up. He's like, uh, hey, sir, uh, my kid threw up against a new release wall, just vomited all over the place. Like, would you clean that up? I was like, sir, I love to clean up throw up. It's my favorite thing to do. In fact, here is a voucher for a free movie for you and your sick child to watch tonight. Like, I was just killing it all night long. Every challenge that came, I was just like, I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. Now, now, here's the thing, all right? 
By the end of the night, I actually never found out who the secret shopper was. In fact, I have reason to believe that my manager was lying to me about the secret shopper thing, which if you think about it, it's actually pretty genius, right? But here's what I found. This is crazy. What I found by the end of the night was two things. First one was this. I was actually a better employee that night. I was just a better employee. And here's the second thing. Strange as this might sound, I actually enjoyed myself. I actually had fun. I actually enjoyed facing those challenges. Now, not that I like pain and that I like the challenge, but somehow my perception changed. I was able to see not just to the challenge, I was able to see through the challenge to see that what I was facing was not permanent and what I was facing was not purposeless, that it was being used to accomplish something. Now, listen, here's why I tell you that, right? That's a silly story. The reason I tell you that is because when we understand what the resurrection says to our present pain, it has the ability to change our perception of the pain that we're facing. Listen, for some of you today, some of you, quite honestly, and and I know this might just be a few of you here today, but some of you, what you're going through right now, you are on the brink of quitting. You're ready to throw up your hands. You're ready to, maybe quite honestly, for some of you right now, you are on the brink of turning your back to God because you're like, I can't do this anymore. Maybe you're ready to lose your faith, honestly. Maybe that's where some of you are today. And if that's the case, would you hear me in saying this, that if Jesus rose from the dead, then that says something really powerful about your present pain. And what it says is this, is what you're going through, believe it or not, it's not permanent. It's not. And if dealt with well, it is not purposeless. It is not. And I know maybe right now all you can see is sand. The resurrection tells you that there's a glimpse of something better. You're headed somewhere great. So listen, here's what I want to challenge all of us, all of us to do. Whenever we face pain, whenever we face suffering, I believe that there's three, in light of this reality, there's three pivotal decisions that we need to make. And here they are, and then we're done. Number one, I think that we need to make a decision to turn to obedient trust. In times of pain, in times of suffering, in times of disappointment, in times of injustice, I think we have to make a decision in light of this reality that we are going to turn to obedient faith, to obedient trust in God. In other words, what I mean by that is this. I have noticed, and my guess is you have too, that when I am in times of pain or when I feel like I've been betrayed and when I feel like I've been dealt with injustice in some way, I am more tempted to abandon doing what is right and just react to the situation, right? Just do whatever I think is right and abandon what God says is the right thing to do. And I would encourage you not to do that. I would encourage you that no matter what you're facing, that you would make this pivotal decision to say that I'm going to do right regardless Regardless if I see the purpose, regardless if I see an end, it doesn't matter. I'm going to choose to do what's right regardless. And listen, the reason I think that that's so true, I, I think Charles Spurgeon said it really well. He's, uh, Charles Spurgeon was attributed with this quote, which I think is really great. He said, one ounce of sin can hurt you far more than 10 million tons of suffering. And I love that quote, and I'll tell you why. I really agree with him. Because the Bible tells us that sin that is that acting in disobedience and doing what we know is wrong in the midst of a situation, sin, the Bible tells us, is toxic to our soul. Sin can destroy you, can destroy your soul and distance you from God. But suffering, see, suffering is really crazy because suffering, even though it hurts, 
The Bible says that suffering is something that can be used in the hands of a sovereign God for your good and for his glory. And so suffering, 10 million pounds of suffering, I mean, just look at the cross. 10 million pounds of suffering can be leveraged by God and used for your joy, can be used for your growth, and can be used for God's glory. So I'd encourage you, make a decision to turn to obedient trust. Here's the second thing. I'd encourage you to make a pivotal decision to turn to Jesus. Turn to him, not away, not away. Here's what I found. You found this too. In times of pain, my natural reaction many times is to turn away from God, not towards him. It's to stiff arm him, to be aggravated with him, to to turn away, to say, I don't want anything to do with you during this time because you're the one who's responsible for this. That's, That's our natural, in fact, most of the people that I've met, maybe even all of them, who I have found who have abandoned their faith and have turned away from Jesus have done so not because of some kind of intellectual crisis, Most of the people I've met who have turned away from Jesus is because they faced personal pain that they did not see purpose in, and so they said, forget it, I'm done with the whole Jesus thing. But I can also tell you this, that the people that I know who exhibit the most Christ-like character, the people that I know who are the most patient, most loving people I've ever met, the people that I know that I admire the most in the faith are people who have turned to Jesus through the most difficult circumstances and have found him faithful as they've walked through pain and they've walked through suffering. I encourage you to turn to Jesus. And here's the last one. I'd encourage you to turn to others. Turn to others. You know, one of the reasons that that dune walk was doable was because I had somebody with me. And I'm just telling you, sometimes our natural reaction when we're going through stuff is that we just wanna turn inward want to stiff arm people out. We just want to deal with it ourselves, not let anybody in, want to suffer in silence. I'm just telling you, man, God has given us such an incredible resource in each other. One of the greatest things you can do is not journey through it alone, but it's to go along with someone else. So listen, for some of you, maybe you actually need to talk to somebody. Maybe you actually need to get it out and talk to someone and let them into what it is that you're going for. Some of you, Maybe you actually need to invite someone in to pray for you. We actually have a prayer team that's here at the end of the service. They'll be in the back and you can go and talk to them today. Get someone to pray for you. For some of you, maybe you need to get connected to a life group. Get connected. One of the greatest resources that God has given us in our pain is each other. Our present pain, the Bible says, because Jesus rose from the dead, our present pain is not permanent and it's not purposeless. Let's pray together. Well, God, I just wanna say thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this new living hope that you've given us through the resurrection of Christ. Uh, The resurrection is a profound declaration of what you're capable of doing through pain and through suffering. And it tells us that whatever we're facing, even even if it's loss and even if it's tragic and even if it's terminal, that it's still not uh, permanent. Uh, because there is something that's lasting. And the resurrection is a profound declaration of that reality. And Father, thank you so much that you've you've shown us an incredible example of what you can do with pain and suffering. The cross and the resurrection give us a picture of that. And so I pray that today, Father, that you would let that not become a stale, cold theological fact, but that it would be a reality that lives even in the moments that we're facing right now and the pain and suffering that we're going through right now. I wanna lift up to you, uh, God to you specifically, the person who uh, is, is really going through some heavy stuff right now. And I know um, we're in a room this size, there's probably some people who are really dealing with some heavy, heavy stuff. 
maybe on the brink of wanting to quit, maybe on the brink of wanting to turn their back on you even. And so, Father, would you even breathe fresh life into them? Would you help give them a glimpse, give them a glimpse of where it is that you want to take them, that what they're facing is not permanent and it's not purposeless? I know it's hard when all we can see is sand, but, Father, help us to have hope and faith that there is something beyond what we're facing today. So, God, thanks for your words to us. I pray that we'd be blessed for having heard them. I pray that we'd live differently as a result of them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.